0: What is going on sports fans and welcome into season 5 episode 1 of the Jack of All Trades sports podcast presented by Anchor. We've got a lot to get to on today's show. The first show of 2023 including instant reaction to the college football playoff semifinals from right after the Ohio State Georgia game went final. An instant reaction of both that game and the TCU Michigan game. We will start the episode with that. Then we will get into an NFL Week 17 recap, update you on all the playoff scenarios in the National Football League. We also got some a national championship preview in college football, um, some New Year's Day bowl picks, and some NBA talk as this season has officially gotten past Christmas, which means we're starting to get into the real NBA season here. So it's an exciting time in the sports calendar as we are also 10 weeks away from a March Madness bracket. So we're getting down into one of the best times in the sports year, but before we start today's episode, this episode is always brought to you by Anchor. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast, go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started today. It is Tuesday, January 2nd. Let's go. And welcome into season five. Yes, you heard me. Season five, episode one of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. I'm your host with the most, too sweet to be sour. At the top of the hour, Jack Bernie, and I want to be the first to wish you a happy new year. Uh, the episode will probably come out later this week, but I am recording this portion of the episode, the open of the episode, right now, right after New Year's Eve. So this is right, literally 12:52 on New Year's Day, January 1st. And we are going to recap in this segment some awesome, absolutely thrilling, down to the wire college football playoff semifinal matchups as TCU beats Michigan 51 to 45, and Georgia, by the hair on their chinny chin chin, beats the Ohio State Buckeyes 42 to 41. Two absolute classics, both in the Fiesta Bowl and in the, I believe, Ohio State played in the Peach Bowl. It was the Peach Bowl, and it was just gr- two great football games. We'll start with Ohio State because the majority of you guys are from Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I'm a Buckeye fan, and obviously, I took a little more stock into that game than I would in the other one. But let's just start with the pos- Uh ju- Let's just start with the game story of that game. What a start for CJ Stroud and for the Buckeyes. They get up to a 21 to 7 start. The defense was playing well great through the first quarter, great through the early second quarter. C.J. Stroud threw two touchdowns to Marvin Harrison Jr. The second one stepped up in the pocket, evaded a sack, and threw an absolute dart to Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison had 100 yards and two touchdowns in that first half. C.J. Stroud threw two of his four touchdown passes in that first half, in those first two quarters. And Ohio State raced out to a 21-7 lead. Georgia responded as they always do. They rattled off 17 straight points to take a 24 to 21 lead. Ohio State retook the lead at the end of the second quarter with another CJ Stroud touchdown pass. Ohio State would build a lead as big as 35 to 24. They led the game by as many as 20. Uh excuse me. I think their biggest lead was 14, actually, but they led the they led pretty much the whole game. George took that 24 to 21 lead, but Ohio State found themselves leading 41 to 35 late in the fourth. And then Georgia, Stetson Bennett went on a clinical 75 yard, one minute and 49 second drive to take a one point lead. CJ Stroud made some plays, made some throws. Ohio State got into field goal range, but with eight seconds left. And as soon as the clock struck midnight, Noah Ruggles just shanks the kick and Ohio State loses in the playoff. Georgia. The defending national champions set up a date with the Frogs, the dogs and the frogs, in the national championship. Immediate thoughts for Ohio State. They played a heck of a ball game. A lot of people were calling for Ryan Day's job after the Michigan loss. As Ohio State lost their second straight game to Michigan, they lost in blowout fashion. But, that game tonight is a game you don't fire him after. Oh, that was one of the best game plans offensively I've seen from Ohio State probably since the playoff win against Clemson in 2020, maybe since the Michigan State game last year, which Ohio State won 49 to nothing. It was a clinic offensively. Georgia, the number one defense in the country, hadn't given up more than 24 points all season long. Ohio State put, puts 41 on them, and they played an outstanding game offensively. C.J. Stroud, what a last game as a Buckeye for C.J. Stroud. Four touchdown passes, and he got him in position to win the game at the end. He had him in field goal range, and I don't care what anybody says. C.J. Stroud played a heck of a game. You could say he never beat Michigan. You could say he didn't win to the playoffs. But he had an outstanding career for the Buckeyes. He had an outstanding last game. But there are some things that stood out to me from Ohio State. Some moments that changed the game, like I want to say, for the negative for Ohio State. The first one happened in the third quarter. Ohio State, I believe, was up 11 at this point. It was an 11-point game. Georgia was driving down. No, it was a 14-point game. Ohio State led 38-24. Georgia was driving down to try and score a touchdown. It was a fourth and six. Stetson Bennett threw it to Brock Bowers. Bowers was called short of the first down line, and Ohio State had the ball up 14. They would have a chance to go up, obviously, by more than 14. Close play, very bang bang play. Bowers was out of bounds. He looked to be a little bit short. They go to commercial. They announce they're reviewing it. They come back from commercial. Georgia has a first down, they don't get a touchdown, they do get a field goal. You may say, Jack, they didn't get a touchdown, it doesn't matter that much. That's a three-point swing. Ohio State went from having the ball back up 14 to only being up 11. As Georgia gets three points back, they only win by one point. That was one of the big swings. The other big officiating swing happened in the fourth quarter. Stroud threw a ball on third and goal to Marvin Harrison. Harrison looked like he was going to make the catch. He got hit hard by a Georgia defender. They throw a flag. They call targeting. Would have been first and goal for Ohio State. They're up 11. They could have gone up 18. Instead, I think that, I think they're actually up 8. They could have gone up 15. But nonetheless, it would have been a one score game to a two score game or a two score game to a three score game. So it's pretty big possession there. Instead, they reviewed the play. Not only does Marvin Harrison get knocked out of the game on this hit with the concussion protocol, I would, I would guess, but they, re- they say there was no targeting. The Georgia defender stays in the game. And to make matters worse for the Buckeyes, it's fourth and goal. Ohio State has to kick a field goal instead of getting a new set of downs to potentially try and go up two scores and get a touchdown. They have to settle for the field goal. Then the other two moments were just bad defense. I know it's been the thing that's been the Achilles heel for Ohio State the last two seasons. Last year against Michigan, the run defense was bad. This year, one of their big, you know, emphasis 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 is in the off-season. I don't know why I was fumbling on that word so much. One of their big emphasis emphasises in the off-season was To fix the defense. And one of the big things they wanted to do to fix the defense. They brought in Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. But they still got burned on the big play and on the blown coverage in critical moments this year. We saw it against Michigan. Especially in the second half. They got burned on big play after big play. Against Georgia. They were up 11. No, they were up. Yeah, they had to be up 11. Yeah, they're up 11 because Georgia went for it, they got it, went for two, and then they were down by three. They're up 11. Stetson Bennett just throws to a wide-open receiver because the Ohio State corner fell down. It was an easy walk-in touchdown. And then on that last Georgia offensive possession, the driver they drove down in a minute 49 and went up one point in the touchdown, it was, it was just clinical. And it wasn't it wasn't like it was great offense. It was just bad defense. So, Ohio State got burned on the big play once again. And then, of course, the other game-changing moment was that missed kick. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to call for Ryan Day's head after this loss. I know there will probably be some Ohio State fans who will. But, I was a little bit questionable of his play play calling after C.J. Stroud ran for that first down and got Ohio State in a field goal range. They call a run to the left hash on first down, gets negative yardage, and then instead of running the ball, taking some time off the clock, and getting the ball set up in an ideal spot for your kicker, Dave calls two pass plays, two incompletions, and then Noel Ruggles kicks the ball, absolutely shanks it, and Ohio State loses. I watched this game over at my friend Andrea's house. A lot of Buckeye fans were there. Just the, the reaction was brutal. I'm a Buckeye fan. A couple of Ohio State alumnus. When that kick sailed left, it was tough. It's going to be a tough loss to swallow for Ohio State. Because DCU played a heck of a game against Michigan. But you can't tell me Ohio State didn't deserve to win that game. They had that game won. And they most likely would have beat TCU. Tough loss for Ohio State. Tough way for C.J. Stroud to end his Ohio State career. Tough way for Noah Ruggles to end his Ohio State career. But the reality for the Buckeyes is they played a hell of a game against the number one team in the country. Probably the back-to-back national champs. Nothing to hang their head on. They're going to have to find a new uh, new quarterback next year, but they will have Marvin Harrison Jr. back. They will have Mayan Williams back. The Buckeyes will be back in the playoffs. It just sucked because they not only kind of let a, uh, a playoff win slip through their hands, they also let a national championship slip through their hands. Next year, it's going to be a big year for Ohio State. They're going to want to get back in the, into their winning ways. But it's going to be it's a tough loss for Buckeye Nation. Tough loss for Ryan Day, but the Buckeyes will be back. You got to tip your ass to Kirby Smart in Georgia. They came back. They never, no matter how much it looked like, Ohio State was in control of this game. Georgia never gave in. A lot of question marks for Ohio State, but they will be back in, in 2024 when the playoff is 12 teams. Ohio State will never miss it again. As Georgia moves on to face TCU, in the national championship, beating the Buckeyes in a heartbreaking, thrilling win in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, 42-41. All right, let's get to our next game, TCU 51, Michigan 45 in the Verbo Fiesta Bowl. What a win for the TCU Horned Frogs for first-year head coach Sonny Dykes. TCU goes wins their first playoff game against a heavily favored Michigan team and goes to the national championship for a first for their first time in a long time. And TCU did it how they did it all year long. First off, they got off to an excellent start in this game. They led off 21 to 6. They led, excuse me, led 21 to 6 at halftime. And then in the third quarter, the offensive explosion happened. 44 combined points in this fourth quarter between TCU and Michigan. The highest scoring quarter in college football playoff history. And TCU, they hang on. They do it with how they've done it all season long. Big plays on both sides of the ball. They had two pick sixes off Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. And they also had big play touchdowns when they needed it most. And they got stops when they needed to. Some questionable uh, clock management skills by Jim Harbaugh aided them in this 51-45 win. And the Horned Frogs move to 13-1 on the year. And they will face off against the reigning National Champs Georgia in L.A. with a chance at the title. And what a game this was. You know, when, when I previewed this game last episode, I said, Max Duggan is going to have to keep TCU in this game. He's their guy. He's their big play guy. He makes all their big plays for them, and he makes their offense go. And Max Duggan, the Davey O'Brien Award winner, you know, he didn't really have it. He didn't really get into a rhythm like he did all year long for the Horn Frogs, but he's cool, calm, collected. He has that moxie. He has that composure, and it allowed him to step up in the biggest of moments in this game. The biggest moment, I think, happened in the fourth quarter as it was th- it was a three-point game. Michigan had just scored. They cut it to a three-point game, which was as close as, I believe, Michigan got. And it was, it was a three-point game. Michigan just scored a touchdown. They had all the momentum. All the momentum. And then TCU and Max Duggan threw a ball to Quentin Johnson, a 76 yard touchdown pass immediately. One minute after Michigan had scored this touchdown to make it a three point game, Max Duggan finds Quentin Johnson for the 76 yard touchdown pass, and TCU goes back up by 10. They would add a field goal to go up by three, uh, 13, excuse me. Michigan would score with three minutes left to cut it to six, and that was as close as they got. Max Duggan, not his best game by any stretch, but he was 14-29. to 29. Two touchdowns, two picks. He also had two rushing touchdowns. De Mercado, TCU's running back, had a day. 150 yards and a touchdown. Quentin Johnson, six catches, 163 yards, one touchdown. J.J. McCarthy, the two pick sixes were huge. But other than that, he was making plays through the air and with his legs and just a crushing loss for Michigan and another crushing big game loss for Jim Harbaugh. You know, a lot of people said that Michigan was a fluke after last year, you know. They beat Ohio State, sure, but they lose by a healthy margin to Georgia who would go on to win the title. But then this year, they go 13-0, including a convincing win in Columbus. They win their second straight game over Ohio State. And a lot of people started thinking, all right, you know, this Michigan's team's different. This Michigan's team, Michigan team is different. A team that had been so good defensively in the second half all season long fell apart against TCU. And that's credit to TCU. They've been a great offensive team all year. They've relied on the big play and they didn't stray away from their game and they made Michigan play their game. And that's ultimately why TCU won. I also think TCU's coach Sonny Dykes outcoached Jim Harbaugh significantly. And I wouldn't count out TCU against Georgia, but big shout out to TCU. They get this win. Michigan had a lot of self-inflicted wounds in this game, but you know, Bad bad weekend for the Big Ten. Bad college football playoff for the Big Ten. Obviously, the first time the Big Ten has ever gotten two teams into the college football playoff, the SEC had done it twice before with Alabama and Georgia, and both times Alabama and Georgia had made the, the uh, national championship game. Ohio State and Michigan both lose heartbreaking one-score losses the first time the Big Ten's ever gotten two teams into this four-team playoff system. And I think it's a little bit different, you know, you can go feel a couple ways after a loss. You know, I think Michigan, if you ask Michigan, are they better than TCU, they would absolutely say yes. They have better athletes. They have five-star recruits. TCU has probably three- and four-star recruits. They play in what many consider a better conference than TCU. So I think Michigan would think they're better than TCU. They did not play their best game today, and I know that Michigan is going to feel a lot worse about where they're going into next year, in my opinion, than Ohio State is because Ohio State put up an outstanding fight against the defending national champions. Michigan lost to a team who a lot of people favored them by ten plus points against. And I know that shouldn't matter, but it should a little bit. You know, Michigan will be okay. I think they. I don't, but I can't say with the certainty that they're going to be back in the mix next year like I can with Ohio State. And whether that's unfair to Jim Harbaugh can be talked about. But Ohio State consistently, 10-11 wins. michigans they've been good under Jim Harbaugh, especially over the last two seasons. But outside of the Ohio State games, when it truly matters, in the playoff, the chance to win a championship, Michigan hasn't gotten it done. They have lost their last six bowl games. So it's a little bit of an interesting uh, scenario for the Michigan Wolverines. But with all that being said, that doesn't take away anything from TCU. TCU played outstanding offensively. You know, they're a big 12 team. So unlike Michigan, TCU is more used to these high scoring slugfest games. And like I said, TCU forced Michigan to play their game. TCU did not get dominated up front. Like a lot of people thought they would. Michigan was not able to impose their will on the offensive line. Like a lot of people thought they would. Donovan, Donovan Edwards had that big run, that 53 yard run to start the game and then didn't do much the rest of the day. Um, Two big, big plays for Michigan that are going to get talked about. Um, the first one was Jim Harbaugh trying to be the smartest guy in the room. He had Kevin Stefanski syndrome in that regard. It was fourth and goal on the first drive of the game. Michigan was inside the five. And instead of and they were at the two. Instead of running smash mouth, smash mouth football, which we were told all weekend long was the key against Michigan, which we were told all weekend long... All all, leading up to this game was the key against Michigan. Michigan runs the Philly special. They run a lateral. uh, They they want their tight end to throw it. And he gets sacked uh, behind the line for negative yardage. They don't score on that play. Very next offensive play for Michigan. TCU pick six. So 14 point swing there early in the game. And then there was another huge swing in that second quarter. I believe TCU was up 10 or 14. Could have been more. I think it was 11. 11, I think it was 21 to 10. J.J. McCarthy throws an absolute dime to Bell, who falls down at the one. They originally call it a touchdown. They go back and review it. Bell is down at the one. His butt is on the ground at the one. So he's down by contact. But he was juggling the ball. So we didn't have possession of the ball a lot in a lot of people's opinions until he crossed the goal line. In my opinion, as an unbiased sports journalist, although I do root for the Buckeyes, but I don't, when my Kent State Golden Flashes are not playing, I think there was not inconclusive video evidence to overturn the calls. The officials disagreed. They overturned the call. Michigan gets the ball, first and goal from the one. Their running back fumbles. TCU recovers. That's another point swing right there. And Michigan lost this game by six points. Those are two touchdowns off the board for Michigan who got inside the two. Their first trips inside the red zone, inside the two, they do not score any points on. So that's, you know, Michigan's going to feel like this one got away, but TCU also played a heck of a game. Max Duggan did great. They had the big performances from their offensive stars, Quentin Johnson, Max Duggan, and their running back, Demercato and what a job by Sonny Dykes in his first year at TCU to get the Horned Frogs back in to the national championship game and it sets up an absolute thriller between TCU and Georgia in the national championship game and since we're doing this episode a little bit about out of order since we like to start with the NFL but I wanted to re- record this immediately after those games went final We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will recap Week 17 of the NFL, go over playoff scenarios and all that good stuff as the NFL season winds down, and then we will get into a national championship game preview between Georgia and TCU and talk everything else happening in the world of sports. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors at Anchor. Welcome back to Season 5, Episode 1 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. It is now time to recap Week 17. We start in Baltimore, Maryland, where the Steelers took on the Ravens in an AFC North showdown. Baltimore is already in the playoffs, so, go- so going 2-2 two and two and averaging less than 13 points per game without Lamar Jackson isn't the end of the world. But the real surprise is Pittsburgh staying in the playoff race with Kenny Pickett leading back-to-back game-winning fourth-quarter comebacks after the offense looked anemic through three quarters. Mike Tomlin might just get that 16th consecutive winning season after all as the Steelers went 16 to 13. Englewood, California was the site of the battle of LA between the Rams and the Chargers. The only really thing, the only thing this game really accomplished is Austin Eckler getting the recognition he deserves. The underrated dual threat is only the fifth running back in NFL history to have 100 catches in a season and lead the NFL in touchdowns, as the Chargers win 31-10. to We go to the frozen tundra in Lambeau Field, where I have to ask everyone the question, why did we all count out Aaron Rodgers so soon? And why did we all crown the Vikings a Super Bowl contender so soon? Green Bay is really about to make these playoffs, aren't they? This would be the biggest upset since Don Corleone survived his assassination attempt as Green Bay was down, was dead and buried at four and eight. Many people were calling for Aaron Rodgers to be benched and for the Packers to see what they had in Jordan Love. But Rodgers said they just needed to get one of the next three and they've won four in a row as the Packers stomped the Vikings 41 to 17. We go to Seattle where the Jets took on the Seahawks. In a revenge game for Geno Smith. Seattle picked up the last NFC wildcard spot. Washington fumbled away. While the Jets got all the way to week 17. Before extending their NFL worst postseason drought. To 12 straight seasons. The Seahawks fly. 23-6. to We go to Las Vegas. We're in a surprise twist. Jarrett Sinem versus Brock Purdy was the game of the week. These two former Bay Area neighbors couldn't have grown further apart. San Francisco is enjoying its longest winning streak since 1997, and they look like a Super Bowl contender with an MVP defender in Nick Boza, while Vegas' bad gamble on Josh McDaniels is a complete disaster that's setting the franchise back years. The 49ers win in overtime 37-34. to we go to Washington where the Browns took on the commanders. And the only thing Ron Rivera sparked by inserting Carson Wentz at quarterback again was a legitimate debate as to whether the longtime coach should stay in Washington. If acquiring Wentz is a, was a fireable offense, reinserting him at the worst possible time should clinch it. Meanwhile, the Browns played their worst first half of the season, the worst half of the season in the first half, and were their best in the second half. As Deshaun Watson fired three touchdown passes to lead the Browns to a win, 24-10. to 10. We go to New York, where Landon Collins had a pick six on Nick Foles, and the Giants relied on Daniel Jones' legs to clinch their first playoff spot since 2016. If Brian Dable isn't the coach of the year, something is wrong with the voters. As the Giants win, 38-10. to 10. We go to Philadelphia where the Eagles had a chance to lock up the top spot in the NFC, but the Saints wanted to go marching in. Don't worry, Philly fans. Losing these last two games with Gardner Minshew is just a ploy to get Jalen Hurts the MVP award. The Eagles will win in Week 18 and clinch the top seed in the NFC anyway. As the Saints go marching 20-10. to We go to Tampa Bay where Tom Brady and Mike Evans decided enough is enough. Let's stop losing these games and get into the playoffs. As Tom Brady found Mike Evans on three long touchdown passes. And Tampa has backed their way into consecutive division titles for the first time in franchise history. The Buccaneers win 30-24. to We go to Houston where I can say this. The Houston Texans are almost on the clock and the Jacksonville Jaguars are almost AFC South champions as they beat the Texans 31-3. to We go to Foxborough where the Patriots took on the Dolphins in a must-have game for both these teams, and New England just won't go away. Now in control of the last AFC wildcard spot, the Pats are a win away from a return to the playoffs they don't deserve, thanks largely to Miami's collapse. The Patriots win 23-21. to We go to Kansas City, where Denver has now lost 15 straight to the Chiefs. Dropped nine straight division games. are on the brink of setting a new franchise record for most losses in a season. Chiefs win 27-24. to We go to Detroit, where the Lions are being relevant to the playoff discussion entering the final week of the season. That's all they can reasonably ask for. The Lions just need Seattle to lose to make it a win and end game in Green Bay. That's absolutely in the mix to get flexed to a national audience. As the Lions roll 41-10 over the Bears. We go to Atlanta. Where it was David Blau versus Desmond Ritter. In a game that the NFL Red, Zone t- NFL, NFL Red Zone channel forgot about. In David Blau's start, his one touchdown pass was still exactly one more. than Desmond Ritter has thrown his first three NFL games. Add Atlanta to the list of teams and search for a quarterback this offseason. As the Falcons squeak out a win, 20-19. to We finish in Nashville, where the Cowboys took on the Titans. And all I can say is, it felt like a preseason game. So I'm going to recap it like a preseason game. Cowboys win, 27-13. Week 17 is almost in the books. That was the Fastest 5 Minutes in Football presented by Anchor. Of course, we got one more game. It is the, the Bengals taking on the Bills tonight and actually a really, really, really fun matchup to really fun matchup to close out Week 17. Two teams that have Super Bowl aspirations. Two of the best quarterbacks in the league in Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. So that's going to be a, an exciting Monday Night Football game to watch tonight and see how it unfolds. But Week 17 is in the books, and it was an exciting week 17. A lot of things have become more clear in the playoff picture, so we'll start there. So regardless of the bills Bengals game tonight, we'll say the Bills are going to win. Doesn't change much. Um, If the Bills win tonight, they're the one seed going into next week. If they lose tonight, the Chiefs are the one seed going into next week. So that's where we stand there. But let's say the Bills win because they are favored. It would be Buffalo as the first seed in the AFC, Kansas City 2, Cincinnati 3, Jacksonville 4, the Chargers 5, Baltimore 6, and the Patriots 7. So let's talk about the AFC scenarios first. The teams that are alive, the top five of the, of the seven teams in the AFC playoff picture have clinched their playoff spot. Jaguars and Titans in Jacksonville next week is a win and end game. So whoever wins that game gets into the playoffs. So it's essentially a playoff game in its own right, that the winner is in and advances to the playoffs and the loser goes home. So Jacksonville, Tennessee, winner of that game gets in the AFC South. If the Titans lose, they are eliminated. If the Jaguars lose, they need a lot of help to get that last wildcard spot. The easiest path to the playoffs for that wildcard spot is New England. The Patriots play the Bills, So the Patriots are going to be rooting for the Bills tonight to win so that the Bills can have the one seed and will maybe consider resting Josh Allen and their starters next week. But the Patriots right now are the seventh seed. If they win against Buffalo, they are in. Then the Dolphins have the second easiest pass. The the Dolphins are 8-8 right now. They need to beat the Jets. And they need to have the Patriots lose to the Bills. And the Dolphins would be the 7th seed. From there, it is Pittsburgh. Somehow, someway, the Steelers are still alive for a playoff spot. I would compare it to uh, that's the fight sequence in Rocky 4 when Rocky Balboa is fighting Ivan Drago. and uh, Or in Rocky 2 a, a or Rocky 1 when Apollo is fighting Rocky. Uh, in Rocky four, I was thinking of the scene where Drago says to his trainer, he's just like a piece of iron. No matter what I do, he keeps coming back. And I think it's in Rocky one when Apollo just looks over at Rocky, Rocky gets up after Apollo knocks him on the floor. Like, how is this dude still fighting? That's what I think about Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. This team has been dead and buried. We've written their obituary. We've said our goodbyes. We put them in the casket and yet they keep coming back for more. These last two weeks, they were five and eight uh, three weeks ago. They're now eight and eight. They won three in a row. Uh, these last two weeks, their offense has done nothing for the first, uh, let's say 58 minutes of the game. And then Kenny Pickett somehow magically becomes this clutch quarterback and leads them on a game winning drive. It's happened the last two weeks, like clockwork. So that is, it, it, it's the Steelers are still alive. So Patriots need to win, and they're in. Patriots win, they're in. Dolphins win, Patriots lose, they're in. Steelers need to beat the Browns, and they need to have the Patriots and the Dolphins lose, and the Steelers would get in. The Jaguars' easiest path to the playoff is through that division. If they win, they win their division. But if they lose, they would need the Steelers, Dolphins, and Patriots to all lose to sneak in as the 7th seed in that wild card spot. So that is the AFC playoff picture going into week 18. We will have our game picks. And then after our game picks, I will update you on how that impacts the playoff picture. Uh, In the NFC, it's a little bit more cut and dry. There is a lot more to play for at the top of the conference. So the Eagles right now are the first seed. They're 13-3. With, if they can get a win over the Giants in Philly, which I would have to think they will be able to if Jalen Hurts plays, I think the Giants might right, rest their players as well since they've already clinched that five, that sixth seed. We'll see. So I would take probably take the Eagles in that matchup. But if they win, they are the one seed. If the 49ers win against the Cardinals, very doable in San Francisco, and the Eagles lose, the 49ers are the one seed. The Vikings need to beat Chicago on the road and have both the 49ers and the Eagles lose to be the one seed. And believe it or not, Dallas is still alive uh, for that one seed. If they finish with the same record as Philly, uh, if Philly loses and Dallas wins... They will be the one seed, I believe, because I think they have the tiebreaker over Philly and over San Francisco. So, four teams fighting for that one seed in the NFC, um, and the only other playoff race to worry about in the NFC, thanks to the Buccaneers clinching this week, is that seven seed. So, here's the seven seed at this hour. So, right now, after the Week 17 games, the Seahawks sit at 8-8. They are the 7th seed in the NFC. They take on the Rams in Seattle next week. And then the only other game you need to worry about in the NFC with the wild card implications is the Packers-Lions game. So if Seattle wins against the Rams and Detroit wins against the Packers, Seattle is in the playoffs. If Seattle wins, so that Seattle needs to beat the Rams and they need to have Detroit, beat the Packers. The Packers need to beat Detroit. The Packers beat Detroit. They are in. They would have a better conference record than the Seahawks, and that would be the tiebreaker used to break that tie. The Lions need the Rams to beat the Seahawks, and they need to beat the Packers. So if the Lions beat Green Bay and the Rams upset the Seahawks, the Lions would be the seventh seed. I would favor Green Bay right now they are I think clearly the um the hottest team right now out of those three teams. It'd be a great story if Detroit or Seattle, frankly, after trading Russell Wilson were able to get into that those playoffs but I don't see Aaron Rodgers losing a game of consequence at Lambeau to the Lions in the future so that is what the the what the playoff scenarios look like right now, and let's get into our our Browns recap so. The Browns get a 24-10 win against the Washington Commanders. Was ugly most, at most points of this game. Very, very ugly. Um, it was a 7-3 game at halftime as the Commanders went on a 21-play, 96-yard drive to score that touchdown. The Browns did not move the ball well offensively at all. In that first half, they had one field goal. They got the ball inside at 10, turned it over on downs. A lot of people were um, were upset about how they played in that first half. And in the second half, Deshaun Watson and that Browns offense flipped a switch. Flipped a switch, excuse me. Deshaun Watson threw for 146 yards, ran for 32 yards, and threw three touchdown passes in that second half. The Browns win the second half 21-3, and they win the game 24-10. The defense played great all day. Denzel Ward had an interception, Grant Delpit, Two interceptions, Miles Garrett, two sacks, Amarty Cooper, three catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. So overall, very encouraging performance for the Browns, especially in that second half. Here's what Kevin Stefanski had to say in the locker room after the game. Way to compete, hey! Clean board on offense, zero giveaways. Defense plus three. Yeah, come out in the second half, number four throws three touchdown passes. Yeah. Mr. Cooper went three for 105. In number 24 goes over 100 yards in the ground. That's great, great, great work. And that takes, that takes everybody. How about special teams? Made all our kicks. Great job. That's a great start to 2023. Right. So Team on three so, one, two, three. so that was Kevin Stefanski in the locker room. Really liked what he had to say. You know, it was uh and the thing that's gonna kill Browns fans, and I hesitate to even tell you guys this: if the Browns win that game against the Saints, um the Browns win that game over the Andy Dalton Saints in the cold. If David Njoku catches that touchdown pass and we'll we go into overtime. If the Browns win that game over the Saints, they are still alive and in the playoff picture this week in week 18. But nonetheless, they got eliminated, lost to the Saints, and, you know, it's tough because these last two games, you can't just mail it in because the Texans have your draft pick. So you got to try and win these games. You got to try and build confidence for next year and get some confidence going into the offseason. I think that performance was huge for building confidence. And, Deshaun Watson talked about building confidence uh, after the game. Here's what he said in the press conference. Yes, ma'am, I think each week has been an opportunity for me to build my confidence and get back in that rhythm. Uh, you know, last week was you know we didn't go our way, but I think it was big too. You know, for me, first time playing in those conditions as as a quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, I think you know if not the worst, one of the worst conditions they ever played in. So for me to be able to go out there and handle that, especially in that last drive to be able to throw the ball with those wins and everything, it was a big confidence booster in that end. As far as I can handle those conditions. Now you know we got to put everything together and try to you know get the victory, but um, it, each week has been each up in stone. We've been able, been able to check out the box of what we want to uh, So Deshaun Watson said, each and every week, I'm building confidence, I'm getting better and better, and finally in that second half, we saw glimpses of 2020 Deshaun Watson, who led the league in passing. 33 touchdowns, 7 picks. We saw the the reason why the Browns were so willing to trade three first-round picks, and signed Deshaun Watson to a $230 million guaranteed contract. Deshaun Watson looked great in that second half. Um, nine, He was only 9 of 18 for the day, but he threw those three touchdowns, no interceptions, was very clean, was seeing the field well, was making some great throws, especially on that drive he found Peoples-Jones on the touchdown. He made... An outstanding throw to Cooper in a tight window. An outstanding throw to Njoku in a tight window. And then found Peoples-Jones for a touchdown. Watson looked great. Uh, it's the first time he's looked great, in my opinion, since being quarterback of the Browns. He's looked good uh, these last couple weeks. He's started to put it together. He's shaken off the rust. But that second half was the first time I think any Browns fan you know, could sit back and say, all right. That's what we that's what that's what we did this for that's what we're doing this for. that's why we made this trade that's why we gave them all this money and I think Browns fans can feel better about that after seeing that second half performance so great second- great performance for the browns you know um against the commander's team that had a lot to play for the commanders needed to win uh to keep their playoff hopes alive pretty much and they were eliminated from the playoffs. After that loss and the Packers win, uh, but overall, it was it was it was a great win for the Cleveland Browns. As Watson, like I said, 9 of 18 169 yards, three touchdowns, also had 31 yards on the ground. Nick Chubb, 14 carries for 104 yards. Amari Cooper, three three catches, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. The defense was awesome. Miles Garrett had one and a half sacks. Krantel put two picks. Denzel Ward had a pick. And overall, it was a very encouraging performance for the Browns. And it sets up a Week 18 game with Pittsburgh. Now, this game, you know, the, these Browns Steelers games it seems like every time they're at the end of the season, something's on the line for either of the, either of these teams. Obviously, the 2020 season, uh, Week 17, Browns needed a win to get in. They won, and then they faced the Steelers in the playoffs and beat the Steelers. So, and the last year. It was Big Ben's last game in Week 17, his last ever game in Pittsburgh, and they beat the Browns, and they actually made the playoffs. So the Steelers need to win and some help against the Browns to make the playoffs, and the Browns have the chance to not only win back-to-back games to end the season, not only to get Deshaun Watson playing his best football against an AFC North team, not only to know and have a better idea of what coaches, what players, what who you're going to bring back next year, but they also have a chance to not only knock their bitter rival Pittsburgh out of the playoffs, but to hand Mike Tomlin his first losing season ever as head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's a lot to play for for both these teams. The Browns are playing for pride, but they're also playing for the future. Deshaun Watson posted something on his Instagram. Highlights of yesterday's game, pictures of himself and teammates celebrating from yesterday's game and he said it's not about this it's not about the right now, it's about the long-term future. That's what this Browns team is about. The, the Deshaun Watson you saw in that second half yesterday can lead the Browns to the Super Bowl. He can, he is that good of a player that when he's on, if he gets back to that 2020 version of himself, Deshaun Watson is good enough to win this city a Super Bowl. He's good enough to win this city a division. He's good enough to get this city to a Super Bowl. He's good enough to win Nancy. Ch- like, he is that good. And that is why the Browns gave that, him that money. That's why the Browns traded that, that draft capital to get Deshaun Watson. We saw the first glimpse of that. But now it's a game against the Steelers. I don't care. you know, I don't care what they say. This game against the Steelers matters for the Browns. You could say that I'm eliminated from the playoffs. You could say it doesn't matter. It does matter. Not only do you get the chance to sweep the Steelers in a season for the first time since 1989, you get a chance to knock them out of the playoffs. you get the chance to give Mike Tomlin his first losing season, and you get a chance to get a huge confidence-building win against Pittsburgh in the last week of the season. So that's what the Browns are looking at right now. It's going to be a fun, fun Week 18, and I feel like that's the perfect segue into our Week 18 picks. So I did pick the Bills over the Bengals, so I'm going to keep that for Week 17 and assume that happens when factoring in the playoff scenarios here. So week 18, all these games, some some of these games don't matter. Some of them matter for the uh, the draft positioning. Uh, like the Texans and Colts game is going to be a generational tank-off between these those two teams. But let's just start with the Chiefs at Raiders. I'll take the Chiefs. Even if the Chiefs rest their starters... I feel like they can beat the Raiders. So, I'll take the Chiefs, Jaguars, Titans. Winner wins the AFC South. I have to go with the Jags. They've been the hottest, one of the hottest teams in the league. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne playing great football. And the Titans just started Josh Dobbs. They're not going to have Ryan Tannehill. They're probably going to have to start Malik Willis or Josh Dobbs. I don't see that that either of those quarterbacks winning a Pseudo playoff game on the road, in this case, Buccaneers at uh Falcons. Buccaneers could rest their starters, uh, but I will probably still take them to beat the Falcons. Patriots at Bills. All depends on if the Bills are going to play their players. It's in Buffalo. Um. Ah, uh, it's in Buffalo. If the if the Bills rest their starters, I would take the Patriots. So I'll take the Patriots anyway. Now nah, I'll take I'll take the Bills to get the one seed. I'll take the Bills and then we'll see how the rest of the playoff scenario shakes out. But I'll take the Bills, assuming their starters are playing. Vikings at Bears, give me the the Vikings. Ravens at Bengals. Uh, I think the Bengals probably rest their starters, so I'll take. The Ravens on the road. Actually, never mind. Uh, that game is going to be for the AFC North title. If the Bengals... So, if the be ba- This is a wrinkle I didn't know. So, if the Bengals lose tonight to the Bills, which I think could totally happen, next week's Bengals-Ravens game will be for the AFC North title. Obviously, the loser would still be in the playoffs, but it would be for the AFC North title. So, if the Bengals win, they would be the 3-seed. If the Ravens win, they would be the 3-seed. So... That's a little interesting wrinkle there. Um, So I'll take the Bengals to win that game. But do the Bengals, obviously the Bengals are going to try and win tonight. But next week, do they even care about the division? Obviously want a home playoff game, but would you rather face Jacksonville or would you rather face Baltimore? I don't know. But I'll take the Bengals to beat the Ravens and win the AFC North. The Lions at the Packers. I'm going to take Green Bay to get into the playoffs and beat the Lions. Texans and Colts in the tankathon. I'll take the, the Colts at home. Uh, Jets at Dolphins. I think the Dolphins do win uh, and get that seven seed against the Jets, especially if Tua is healthy. The Jets are kind of in free fall. Um, and I don't think they're going to be able to fix it for this week. 18 matchup against the uh, the Dolphins. Panthers-Saints, doesn't really matter. I'll take the Saints at home. Giants-Eagles, uh, I'll take the Eagles. Browns-Steelers, give me the Browns on the road in Pittsburgh. I like it. I think the Browns are the more talented team. I think they will be motivated for that game. Commanders, hosting the Cowboys, I'll take the Cowboys. Chargers at Broncos, Chargers, uh, Cardinals, Rams, Uh, Cardinals, 49ers, 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, I will take the Seahawks. So, based off my Week 18 game picks, Chiefs over Raiders, Jags over Titans, Buccaneers over Falcons, Bills over Patriots, Vikings over Bears, Bengals over Ravens, Packers over Lions, Colts over the Texans, Dolphins over the Jets, New Orleans over Carolina, Philly over the Giants, the Browns over the Steelers, Dallas over Washington, LA over Denver, 49ers over Cardinals, and Seahawks over Rams. Here is what the playoffs would look like. It'd be the one-seed Bills in the AFC with a bye, and then we'd have the two-seed Chiefs hosting the seven-seed Dolphins, uh, the three-seed Bengals hosting the six-seed Ravens in the AFC North matchup, and then the four-seed Jaguars hosting the fifth-seed Chargers. So that's the AFC. In the NFC, it would be the uh, top seed Eagles, and then it would be the two-seeded 49ers hosting the 7 seed Packers, Uh, The three-seeded Vikings hosting the six-seeded Giants. And the four-seeded Buccaneers hosting the fifth-seeded Cowboys. So that is all that's happening around the NFL right now. Let's take a look at the NBA before we get into our college football playoff national championship game preview. So the NBA season in full swing. We are about 35 games in for all these teams. And let's take a look at the standings in both conferences. In the East, your top eight, Celtics, Nets, Bucks, Cavs, Sixers, Pacers, Heat, and Knicks. Really, those top five are kind of what you would expect. Celtics have been playing excellent basketball this season coming off the finals appearance last year. The Nets really have started to put it together. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have been playing their best basketball as a tandem, I think. In, in their time in Brooklyn. They have the Nets playing really well. Only one and a half games back of that top seed in the East. Then you got the Bucks at 23-13 and 13 in the third seed. Obviously Giannis having another MVP-type season. Uh, still haven't gotten Chris Middleton fully back healthy. I think once they get him back healthy, they'll even go to another level, but they're still at three seed in the East, two and a half games out of the first seed. Still playing very good basketball. The Cavs sit in the four seed at twenty three and fourteen. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and the Cavs have been very, very good at home this year sixteen and four. Not as great on the road seven and ten. They play poorly on the road, in my opinion. So they got to turn that around, especially if they want to make some noise in the playoffs. But they've had a very good start to their season. Donovan Mitchell playing an MVP level. Uh, Darius Garland starting to turn the corner a little bit. I would like to see more consistency out of Evan Mobley and I would like, and I think Jared Allen is probably the most important player on the Cavs roster in terms of what he does for them. Then five, six, seven, uh, Sixers Pacers heat. Um, you expect the Sixers up there with Embiid, but Pacers a little bit of a surprise. They've been playing pretty well. Tyrese Hal Burton's having a good season. And you got the Heat and the Knicks with the Hawks Wizards in the playing tournament as well. So that's the Eastern Conference. In the Western Conference, it's a little bit more of a scattered picture with the top 10 teams in the Western Conference, all being within six and a half games of the one seed. So right now, the one seed in the West is the Nuggets. Uh Nikola Jokic is having another MVP type season. And Although he's won back-to-back MVPs, I feel like Jokic is criminally underrated by the fans of the NBA and just by the national media, because he's literally a top three player in the league. His skill set might be the best skill set for his position in the league. He's an outstanding facilitator, can shoot the outside shot, great inside, good rebounder. He is having a really, really awesome year, and the the Nuggets are 24-12 at the top of the West. Then one game back, you got the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. The Grizzlies and the Pelicans obviously led by the top two picks in the 2019 draft. The Grizzlies with John Morant. John Morant's having another great year for them. They've been playing very well, especially at home, much like the Cavs. The Cavs are 16-4 at home, 7-10 on the road. The Grizzlies are the same story. 15-3 at home, 8-10 on the road. Then you got the Pelicans. uh, Made the playoffs last year. Got a little bit of a taste of the playoffs without Zion and Zion is starting to play some really good basketball, which should make the Pelicans fans very, very excited because I was a huge fan of Zion coming out of college at Duke. I thought he was the truth, and he's starting to play like it. Uh, this season, he's averaging 26 points, 7 rebounds, 4.5 assists. Uh, he missed two, ga- 3 games due to injury, but you take a look at his last three games versus Minnesota versus the 76ers at the Grizzlies against the Tim Rolls. He had 43 points Sixers. He had 36 points and against the Grizzlies. He had 20 points and nine rebounds. So he's starting to put together as well. They also have some good players in that team. CJ McCollum and they've been doing this without Brandon Ingram, who's been hurt. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But CJ McCollum and Zion's a great duo, and they find themselves only one game back of the top seed in the West. Then the fourth seed, you got the Mavs, and wow is all I can say about Luka Doncic. I think he's going to be the MVP this year. I don't know how you couldn't give him the MVP, but let's just read you his stat lines dating back to December 23rd against the Rockets. Luka this season, first off, is averaging 34 points per game, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. That's the MVP. MVP. 34 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. If he sustains that, he's the MVP. Let's take a look at his last five games for Luka. December 23rd versus the Rockets. 50 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. December 25th, Christmas Day against the Lakers. 32 points, 9 rebounds, 9 assists. December 27th versus the Knicks. 60 points, 60 points, twenty run, 21 rebounds, 10 assists. First player... To have those types of numbers. Something that Wilt Chamberlain didn't even do. Then he faced the Rockets again. Gave him a 35 point, 12 rebound, 13 assists, triple-double. And then he faced the Spurs. Greg Popovich on New Year's Eve said before the game, we're going to hold Luka Doncic to under 50 points. And Luka had 51 points for 6 rebounds and 9 assists. The dude is playing at another level right now. And he has been so, so fun to watch. And I'm excited that the, the Mavs are doing as well as they are. Because he is... Very, very fun. Then you got the Clippers in fifth. Um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard starting to play a little bit more. So they are starting to move up in the standings. The Mavericks have won six straight games. I should have mentioned that with Luca's play as of late. Then you got the Kings, Suns, and Trailblazers at 6, 7, and 8. With the Warriors and Jazz also being in the play-in. The Warriors are without Steph Curry right now, which explains why they are further down in the standings. So that's what the NBA landscape looks right now. Like right now, let's end this episode with some college football talk and some college football playoff national championship preview. First off, I'll give you my picks for the New Year's games today as we got a game currently in action. It is the Mississippi State Bulldogs against the Illinois Fighting Illini in the Riella Quest Bowl. I think Mississippi State is going to win that game. Tulane takes on USC. I think USC is going to win that in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, LSU and Purdue. I think LSU will win that game in the Citrus Bowl. And then we got Penn State and Utah in the granddaddy of them all. I think Utah is going to win their second straight trip to the Rose Bowl. So let's get into our college football playoff championship preview. We already recapped the uh, semifinal games earlier in this matchup. Earlier in this episode let's take a look at this matchup. It's a real David versus Goliath. The defending champion and undefeated Georgia versus this, this season's Cinderella program from TCU. A matchup that I think will decide this game is TCU wide receiver Quentin Johnson and quarterback Max Duggan versus Georgia's secondary. Johnson didn't struggle against Michigan's stout defensive secondary. He caught six passes, 163 yards and a touchdown. Duggan and his go to target have proven that no matter the brand and talent across the line of scrimmage, they can ball. They can get theirs. Now they face a Georgia secondary that's coming off two, its worst two outings of this season. They allowed 502 passing yards against LSU, they allowed 348 passing yards against Ohio State. So Georgia's secondary is struggling, uh, and TCU. If Quentin Johnson and Max Duggan can take advantage of that, TCU will have a way better chance to win. An X factor in this game are the tight ends. Darnell Washington, uh, Georgia's 6'7", 270-pound tight end, left Saturday's game with a left ankle injury. So we don't know if he will be able to play. Uh, He's a really great blocking tight end as well as a pass catcher. Um... Him and Brock Bowers probably give Georgia the best one-two punch in terms of tight ends in college football. And if they're without Washington, uh, Georgia's main advantage against TCU on the line of scrimmage is going to come down a little bit. If he's, if Washington's not able to go against TCU, it's going to negatively affect Georgia's power running game and red zone passing. With that being said, I think Georgia... Needs they Georgia definitely needs to play better than they did against Ohio State if they want to win this game. Ohio State had that game won. And I think, frankly, like I said earlier in the episode, Ohio State got uh, screwed a little bit on two replay reviews that kind of changed the momentum of that game. Georgia's going to have to play a lot better if they want to beat TCU. C.J. Stroud shredded Georgia's defense for much of that game. And Stetson Bennett played about 30 minutes of bad football. The Bulldogs saw their season come before their their eyes before squeaking out a win thanks to a missed field goal because Ohio State had that game won. And Ohio State was the better team on Saturday. And I think Ohio State deserved to win that game. And and Kirby Smart said that after the game. In terms of specifics, I think Georgia needs to do a better job uh, plastering receivers and rushing the passers. Um, Ohio State's wideouts, specifically Marvin Harrison and Emeka Ibuka, had their way with Georgia's secondary, and C.J. Stroud did not face much pressure. He was able to read coverage and scramble. Uh, TCU's Max Duggan, not a better thrower than Stroud, but he's a better runner than Stroud, so he can make things happen with his legs. Uh, Offensively, Georgia, I think, needs to do a better job balancing the pass and the run game. The Bulldogs only ran the game 26 26 times against the Buckeyes, which was their lowest since their season opener opener against Oregon. If Georgia can run and throw and open up the offense, uh, they will keep TCU guessing and have a better chance to win this game. Georgia's A game is good enough to beat TCU, and perhaps by a lot. But if they play their B B or C game like they did against Ohio State, Ohio State should have won that game. Ohio State had that game won. TCU showed that if a team is off that's more talented than them, like Michigan, they will be able to win. For TCU, uh, I think TCU um, needs to rely on Quentin Johnson and Max Duggan. One thing Georgia has been susceptible uh, to... In last year's SEC championship game loss against Alabama and Jamison Williams, and Saturday's close game against Ohio State is going against a truly elite wide receiver. Um, They they struggled against Marvin Harrison. They struggled against Jamison Williams. Can TCU get them to struggle against Quentin Johnson? Offensive coordinator Garrett Riley is great at getting Johnson the ball in open space, including screen passes that broke one that broke for a touchdown against Michigan. Uh, it will likely take a game breaking performance from Quentin Johnson to get TCU a win in this game. If the title becomes a track meet, playing a one dimensional game against Georgia is tough though, which means TCU is going to need to run the ball, whichever running back plays Kendra Miller or Amari Dimercado, Mercado Di mercado had a good game against Michigan, um, it's a tough task against the potential number one pick, Jalen Carter, but TCU needs to have that same balance on offense. Defensively, uh, the Horn Frogs defense was salty against Michigan's run, ga- run game and still gave up over 40 points. They did have two pick sixes, so they are going to need to be able to turn the ball over if they can. If the Bulldogs have Washington at tight end, TCU will need to uh, you know, stand up against the run like it did against Wol- the Wolverines. If Washington is out, Georgia has the white, whiteout tandem in Mitchell and Smith, which would allow them to, you know, kind of throw away the run game and play more wide open than one would expect. Georgia's 13 point favorites in this game. Um, this game is next Monday. I'll give you guys a pick. I think that 13-point spread is way too much. I think TCU is getting a little disrespected by that. But I do think Georgia will be able to hold on just due to the talent gap and win their second straight national title. That is all the time we have for today's episode. Real quick, want to say Happy New Year to all of you again. Hope 2023 is filled with a lot of blessings and opportunities for everybody and some joy and uh, some some fun with your loved ones and some good sports as well and thank you guys for listening be sure to follow the podcast on instagram at jotsportspod at J-O-T Sports Pod. you can also give me a follow on twitter at jack bernie tv or at the real j b e r n z i've been jack bernie signing off have a great new year everybody and we'll be back next week with another episode